This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Hop Warriors, and welcome to another session on the Hop Forward podcast. Big week this week, huge, totally huge, uh, because, drum roll please, in fact, fanfare please, maestro. The Hop Forward podcast has been nominated as a finalist in the SEBA Business Awards 2020 for the UK's best independent craft beer promotion. Come on! How's that for blowing your own trumpet? It's hard to believe how this little podcast has grown and is still growing with around a thousand listeners a week. Um, but a, a massive, massive thank you to Seba for recognising the show and putting it into the final four. And a huge, totally huge thank you to all of you who tune in every week and send messages to say they're getting a lot out of the show. In fact, I've had a lot of messages from brewers this last week worrying about biofilms after last week's show with Paul Browning. So it's great to know that people out there are listening. Anyway, it's also a big week uh, this coming week for two reasons. It's Seba's 40th anniversary and next Wednesday and Thursday, Brewers from across the nation will be ascending and descending on Liverpool for Britain's biggest brewing trade show, Beer X. Coronavirus lockdown dependent. <coughs> uh, moving swiftly on. Um, you've probably seen of late several breweries have announced their shutting up shop, uh, two of which are Mad Dog Brewery in Wales and Great Heck Brewery in Yorkshire. Uh, brewery closures are always sad, and I've enjoyed multiple beers from both of these breweries. But there's no denying that numerous factors, some of which are very complicated, both internal and external, uh, come into play when it comes to businesses closing. And when you factor in the potential rise in beer duty that is on our doorstep, uh, possibly, um, along with a public health scare and the associated anxiety surrounding the coronavirus, which could possibly affect the pub trade and then in turn the brewery trade if people go into lockdown, then it's no wonder that there are and will be some unfortunate casualties in the beer industry over the coming years. Um, this is why I personally think that bodies such as Seba are really important for the beer industry. And it's also why I think you should make every effort to ensure that your brand and your business is every bit as good as your beer. So before we crack open today's interview with a man who knows all about the beer business and plays an important role within Seba, I wanted to read an article that I've written that is being published in the Seba Independent Brewer magazine, which is formerly known as the Seba Journal, uh, to you. Hopefully this will illustrate my point without pissing anyone off too much, but like I say, it's a complex set of issues surrounding uh, brewery and pub closures and... Um, I, I want to give my take on it and I hope you find it really helpful food for thought. Looking back and moving forward, 40 years of Seba and why it won't be enough just to brew great beer in the next decade. 
Remember that advert with the toads on lily pad saying, but why is or the before football calling ad involving three groats and a turnip. Or the ashtray sporting slogans like you're twice the man on Worthington's. Much has changed over the four decades that Seba has been operating. Hellers, I wasn't even born when the small independent brewers association, as it was known, was established to fight the pub tie system that sought and still seeks to keep independent brewers at bay. Crass advertising and flavourless beers aimed at men now seem both archaic and primitive. As an industry, we've come a long way, but at the start of a new decade, there's no denying that British beer has a tough job ahead of it. In stark contrast to the marketing tactics of the global players, many of the slogans and phrases that small independent brewers used to pride themselves on are now sadly meaningless. Brewed with the finest malts and freshest hops. Yep, you and everyone else. We're an independent brewery. Define independence, 51 majority shares. Our IPA is bursting with hops. Which one was that again? I've already had five this evening. You get the idea. As consumer demand for newer, bolder, wilder and more extreme beers only increases, solely relying on brewing a quote-unquote great product and quote-unquote letting the beer talk for itself simply won't cut the mustard. The problem many brewers will face this coming decade won't be an issue of inadequate quality. It will be that there is too much great quality out there. Lots of people are making great beer. The successful breweries in the next decade will be great businesses as well as great beer makers. To succeed in the roaring 20s or whatever we're going to call this decade, firstly, breweries will need to have a unique selling point that really is unique. Creative branding, clever marketing and telling a compelling story will come to the forefront more than ever as each brewer and brand seeks to be heard above the bombardment of digital noise all vying for consumers' attention. Brewers will need to innovate, inspire and truly own their niche or narrative rather than merely hopping on the hazy train and following the latest trends. Secondly, brewery owners are going to need to value their staff more than ever, paying them a living wage, providing them with the proper equipment to do their job safely and not expecting them to operate the brew house, seller beers, managing the business affairs and run the tap room on evenings and weekends, all while posing for selfies on Instagram with the hashtag Brewers Life. Thirdly, successful breweries in the next decade will know how to educate themselves further, adding weapons to their armoury through forums such as SEBA, publications like the Brewers Journal and podcasts like the Hot Four podcast and the Master Brewers podcast. They will embrace technology to help them be more efficient in bringing costs down, focus more on tap rooms and online shops to help them retain their margins by selling and communicating directly with their target audience and explore advancement in raw materials such as cryo hops, specialty malting and GMO designing yeasts. Being well acquainted with these will give brewers more flavours to develop and innovate their product ranges. Ultimately though, it's the people within the industry that will drive craft beer forward and empower the next generation to bring their own unique take and perspectives on the nation's favourite beverage. In the end though, to paraphrase writer Pete Brown, beer has been the social glue since the dawn of civilization and will continue to provide a table to share a deep and meaningful over, a forum for debate and discussion and a beverage by which we can have a relaxing time into the coming age.
Regardless of whether your favourite dipper-producing brewery sells out to a global giant, alcohol-free beers become the norm on the bar, or craft lager actually does become the next big thing, the industry will continue to morph, thrive and develop under the steady hand of those involved throughout the supply chain from grain to glass. As Ciba raises a glass or two to toast its 40th year, coronavirus depending, it, that bit's not in there by the way, it's time to celebrate what has been and start dreaming about what could be. Even better branding, better business sense and better brewing. I'll drink to that. And I hope you will too. So not only make sure your brand and your business are as good as your beer, follow us on social media at Hot4Beers and connect with us on LinkedIn. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher and visit the website hotforward.beer because we'd love to work with you on your branding, marketing and business development for your brewery or your beer business. So one final notice, uh, just to say that there's not going to be an episode of the Hot Forward podcast next week because like many of you, I will be at BRX. So I hope to see you there. Uh, If you are there and you're coming, come say hi. Let's have a beer together. It'd be great to connect with you and have a chat over a beer. So let's crack open today's show with Ian Buzzard from Roosters Brewery in Harrogate, who is also the national chairman for SEBA, talking all about uh, the Society of Independent Brewers Association. Cheers. Uh, today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm here in Harrogate with Ian Buzzard. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Ian, I think many of our listeners will be familiar with you as both the owner of Roosters Brewery and the national chairman of SEBA. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with you, can you give us a bit of background about how you got into the beer industry and briefly share your journey up to date? Okay. Um, I got into the beer industry really by being a camera member. I've been a camera member since 1975, so I was one of the early, early members. Um, I trained as an accountant, uh, didn't really work as one, worked in the healthcare industry for a while. Um, but through my camera connections, once I moved up to Harrogate, um, in 1986, four of us decided to double in the pub world and we bought a, a derelict pub in Huddersfield, which, uh, we renamed the Rat and Ratchet. It's still going. It's quite famous. Um, and we then followed on with three other pubs. Uh, we... Um, perhaps optimistically called ourselves rodent inns, which was a bit of fun at the time. But the, the simple reality was we all had full-time jobs. Nobody had the time to run the company. And even though we had managers in the pubs, um, we decided to call it a day after about five years. Um, and then in 1991, I was living in Nairsborough, where I still am. And there was nowhere decent to drink in Nesborough. So my wife and I um, decided to create our own pub. And that became Blind Jacks, which again is fairly well known. It's been the Good, good Beer Guide most years. Yeah. And uh, really, really proud of that because I won a camera design award for it, which meant so much to me at the time, far more than than having qualified as an accountant. <laughs> Just to show um, <laughs> how that, that demonstrates where my passions lie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, so we had Blind Jacks for about five years, um, again I had to sell it, my, my job just became mental, I was spending most of my time in London, um, but when that job came to an end in 1998 and I got a, 
a payoff. Um, I decided to work for myself. Uh, I'm drawing on my previous pub experience. Um, I founded a startup company called Market Town Taverns, which um, I didn't have enough money to do it myself, so I got using the enterprise investment scheme. I got about 20 odd shareholders uh, who came on board at day one and backed me. And um, over a period of 13 years, we developed 15 free houses around North and West Yorkshire. Right. Um, and the, the, the ethos was, uh, at the time, I mean, those of you who were around in the 90s will remember that sort of alehouses had become quite popular. I just realised that there was a, a niche market beyond that. There, were, there was a market for where you could combine good beer, good wine and good food in pleasant but not over fussy surroundings. Yep. Um, but with no gimmicks, no music, um, no games machines, that sort of thing. Um, and we were a bit, we were sort of ahead of our time, I think, then, although pe- other people very quickly caught up. Again, I'm really proud of the fact we opened off, we, we were right at the vanguard of the no smoking pub. Uh, movement. So we opened our first completely no smoking pub in Leeds in 2004. That was Arcadian. Mm. Um, so that band came in around 2007. Yeah, that was it. <clears throat> we just saw the way the the the, the 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 sort of the world was moving. But before that, we'd had we, if we had two room pub, we always had one room no smoking. Mm. So you know, and it, we we always thought we were tried to keep ahead of the game. Um, and in 2011, it, it became obvious that um, we would either have to um, significantly scale the company up to make sense of it, or as it happens, we sold it because it was the right time for the investors. Um, I didn't have the energy then uh, or appetite to want to um, to scale it up to the level that you'd have had to have done to make, to continue to make sense of it. Yep. So that's how I got into the beer industry. Um, the rest, um, uh, well, quite by coincidence, um, I was I used to buy a lot of beer from Sean Franklin at Roosters, and around the time I was contemplating selling Market Town Taverns. Um, he approached me and he knew I had two sons, one of whom, Oliver, had been a brewer since he left school at both Daleside and Copper Dragon, and one, Tom, who at the time was working for Beeritz uh, and Beer Paradise in the beer retailing and wholesaling industry. Mm. So Sean approached me, and the timing was right from my point of view because I wouldn't have had any money to buy roosters if I hadn't sold Market Town Taverns. Um, and uh, so eight years later, eight and a half years later, here we are, just having moved into some new premises in Harrogate. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty big. Um, funnily enough, when I parked, I, um, I, I walked in the opposite direction, so I'm like, man, this is really like, they must be making some kind of milkshake IPA or something, or, you know, salted caramel stout, but there was a, it was a sweet factory next door. <laughs> yeah, there's a factory next door that makes fudge and things like that. That was it, yeah. So Which... Either masks our brewing smell or combines with it. I'm not sure that 
it's as good as the brewing smell on its own. But um, yeah, um, yeah, we've just moved into new premises in Harrogate. Um, we realised we had to move um, back in two thousand and eighteen. We started looking. The premises we were in in Nesborough uh, were just really outgrown. Um, we didn't really have much room to swing a cat. Um, and the problem in the Harrogate and Nesborough area is that there's, a, there's not much industrial land in buildings. Uh, most of it's gone for housing. So um, the building on Hornbeam Park, in which we're in now, we found um, about August 2018. And it's taken us 18 months to finally get in and finally finish our project. Mm. It's a little bit bigger than we envisaged. And consequently, it's a little bit more expensive than yeah. we envisaged. But um, we live in hope that we can grow into it. Yeah. So what, what was that experience like, moving your brewery from one location to another? And what, what I, sort of logistical challenges did I you would, have to overcome? I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, well, like all projects, and just think HS2, we went horrendously over budget. Um, so I had to... Um, sort of do a bit of refinancing. Um, the logistics of moving was tricky because we couldn't afford much downtime. Mm. When you when you supply uh, major retailers, uh, you don't get even one chance to mess up. Um, so we knew we had to... Um, we, we produced uh, as, as much as we could before the move in the hope that we wouldn't run out of product. Um, we gave ourselves two weeks to complete the actual move, having a sub, having bought a new brew plant, but having to move all our FVs and DPVs. Um, and it was hairy. Uh, you know, the project went, over, as well as going over budget, it went over time, uh, as these things tend to do. So it meant it was difficult to plan. Mm. You know, you, you set a window for when you like to do the move and suddenly find it's not achievable for whatever reason um so we did it we're here we uh, there was a few uh, uh hairy moments and a few uh, sleepless nights but um yeah i wouldn't recommend it unless you absolutely have to or you uh, or you really want to um but you know looking around where we are now i'm pleased we did it yeah um, it's a nice smart setup yeah and we've got it and we we've got a chat room we we couldn't have uh, there was no space for a tap room on, on the old site as well. Um, we used to have an open day once a year just to showcase what we did mm. uh, and hope it didn't rain because there was not much space inside the brewery. Um, and we're really pleased that our old brewery site's now been taken over by Turning Point Brewery, um, who've moved over from Kirby Moorside. Yeah. So uh, it's worked out well. They've, they've bought our old brew plant. Do you know, I think I saw that on Instagram or Twitter or something. Um, they're moving in there, so it's okay. I didn't realise it was you that I'd moved out of that space. So, yeah, it worked out well for both parties. Yeah, so. cool. How, how pivotal do you think it is for a, a brewery these days to have a tap room? Uh, well, I would say very, if you can. Um, not only do you, do you connect you with your community, um, but it enables you to showcase your beers. It obviously means that you can make some retail margin on some of your beers. Um, it means you've got somewhere to entertain people. Um, you know, it, the benefits are well obvious, really. Mm. Um, it 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 just makes it harder if you 
if, if you're just a brewer and you, you don't have an outlet for your beer. It's even easier, I guess, if you've got retail, your own retail estate, as we know, yeah. you know, most of the family brewers, and there's about 30, 40 of them left still, uh, most of the family brewers have got long-established retail estates, and that's what enables them to, to remain in business and remain competitive. Yeah. I mean, why do you think um, some smaller brewers and I mean, we'll, we'll come on to see, but this will kind of tie in a little bit with um, some of the discussion about CBA. Why, why do you think some of the smaller brewers and smaller members of something like CBA complain about these family brewers with their big estates? Like they're, they're really hard done by because basically a brewery owns a lot of property. I mean, it's, it's natural, isn't it, for um, a, a, any smaller business to, to be maybe envious of what something they don't have. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, let's be honest, the family brewers have got a lot, we've got a lot to be thankful for, um, for them. Um, you know, they were the ones who maintained their pub estates. They didn't sell out to the old big six and, and, and take the money. That, um, with one or two exceptions, they are, you know, quite profitable businesses. But um, I think it's, I think I think where where people get a little bit upset is when not so much the family brewers, but the the big globals and the two or three big national brewers start muscling in onto craft beer. Mm. Um, and I get upset, to be honest, um, when I see um, brands that are um, you know um, maybe American beer brands that are brewed in in the Midlands. Um, you've got to look very, very hard at the label to discover that. Uh, nothing wrong with the beer, uh, but clearly the economies of scale that those breweries have compared to everybody, you know, ourselves and, and, and much smaller breweries, um, is, they've got a vast advantage. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's life. I mean, we live, thankfully, we live in a capitalist society and not a, a totalitarian one. So the upside is the consumer gets all the choice. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm afraid it's a, it's a harsh reality that um, unless you run your your brewery business uh, in in the, the most professional manner you can and as efficiently as you can, it's a harsh reality that some people will go out of business. Mm. Um, it's nothing to be it's nothing to take any pleasure out of, but it's a, as I say, it's a harsh reality. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, let's let's talk about Seba. Seba um, celebrates its fortieth anniversary this year, um, and you know how have you seen Seba and its its membership and members change over and, and develop over those years? That's a very far-reaching question. Um, Indeed, it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been active in Seba for six or seven years. Um, about a year after we bought Roosters, I I. I um, I was attending, uh, started attending CBA meetings, and when the vacancy came up for a regional director, I stood for it and was elected. Um, for those who don't know, CBA has eight regions and uh, elects three directors per region to its board. Its board is a is the policy making body. Um, the day to day activities of CBA are run by what's called the executive, which is. Uh, an eight-man board that comprises three elected directors, the chief exec and four non-execs mm. who are independent of the brewing industry. Um, in terms of how CBA's changed, it's become a lot more professional. Uh, if, you, if you go back to 
the 1980s when it started, it was very, very much a small, uh, in fact, it was called the Small Brewers Association, mm. not the Society of Independent Brewers. Um, it was all done on volunteer basis. Um, some of those volunteers gave a lot of their time and some of them then grew with Seba themselves. Um, Seba really only started to have its own professional management team in about the mid 2000s. Uh, it always had a few employees in the office. Um, I think its first chief executive came in about 2004. Um, and so Seba's grown. It's become, it's become a, as its membership has grown, it's, it's had to grow and become more professional in the process. Mm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, there's no other industry body speaking out for small brewers, uh, representing small brewers with the treasury and with government. Um, and there's just so much going on at the minute that, um, you know, that needs to be done. Um, a classic example is deposit return schemes. Gosh, I mean, that's a huge issue, isn't it? Yeah, um, uh, and it, it's starting in Scotland. The Scottish government has decided that um, it's going to pioneer it and it... it as I last understood it, it's supposed to be up and running next year. Mm. Um, and when you go into the detail, it's absolutely scary for smaller brewers, the responsibilities they will have. It's much easier for the larger companies to cope with all the sort of bureaucracy and, and, and admin that will be required. And even scarier, there's no guarantee that England and Wales will follow with the same scheme. That is the crazy thing, and Seba's lobbying very hard uh, to try and make sure that, at the very least, if we can't stop it, we at least get one UK-wide scheme. Yeah. I was in a Seba meeting, um, the Midlands one, re- fairly recently, um, where Barry... Um, Barry Watts, um, our uh, public affairs guy, yeah. he's, he's the one who's, who's um, heading up the... Uh, the deposit return, lobbying and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, where Barry was saying, um, you, well, explaining to the brewers what, what this will mean and all, all of a sudden the penny dropped for so many people in that room. And it was like, that's like just going to make everything yeah. so much more difficult. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. and it's, it, it's, it, it's crazy. And so, so I think someone says, so basically it's like a recycling tax on producers in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's scary. And I, you know, it's, it, Obviously, nobody can argue with the principles of it. We, we all want to recycle. We all want to re- eliminate or minimise waste. Um, but you have to believe that the people who are implementing it, are, uh, none of them have probably ever run a small business. None of them probably have got a faintest idea what what the burden will be on mm. on the people who are uh, who are going to have to implement it. Um, and like I say, CEPA is the only body shouting out for small brewers about this issue and it's small brewers are going to get hit hardest by it yeah so wh- why do you think that um m- more brewers don't sign up to seba i mean I- i'm i'm off just to put my cards on the table i'm all for seba i'm a supplier associate member um when i was at sheffield brewery company we were a member um you know i, I think what seba's doing is really great but <coughs> that opinion is not wholly shared by everyone and e- even some of the quote-unquote craft I was going to say craftier, but that's a, that has a different connotation, doesn't it? But some of the more craft-type brewers and more well-thought-of brewers aren't part of Seba. I mean, what what if if you're going to like pitch to them and you've got their listening ear right now, like what why should somebody be a part of Seba? 
Well, I suppose I would I would start like the answer by well, why not? What you know, Seba is. I think, I think the, the historical perception has possibly not helped in that, it, you know, until 12, 18 months ago, SIBA was run um, by, you know, a couple of very professional guys, but, you know, I heard them referred to as men in suits. Um, so SIBA, you know, inevitably perhaps portrayed a not very crafty image. Um and was maybe seen as a bit more, a bit more mainstream. Mm. Um, we've we've got a dynamic new chief executive in James Calder. We've got a really good young management team. We've got a, a reinvigorated board with some really great brewers who've joined in the last year or so. Um, for example, Jamie Dillap of Finales has just joined the yeah. board. Uh, you know, now you can't get a, a, a much more revered brewery than that. Mm. Uh, involved in SIBA. So I would argue that we're all in this together. We're all brew good beer, whether you're at the uber craft end or uh, at the more mainstream end, we're all small brewers. We're all fishing in the same market and we all have the same pressures on our businesses. Um, and SIBA exists to help all brewers, all small brewers, small independent brewers run their businesses more efficiently. Yeah. Help, it exists to try and help navigate the best position we can with government mm. um, you know we are fighting damned hard at the minute to protect small brewers relief as well as reform it but we you know there are people out there who um, who are proposing that uh, uh, the price of reform should involve reductions in relief for some brewers and we are adamantly against that and, and we are vociferously shouting out to government that that should not happen. Mm. Now, nobody else is doing that. So, you know, there's, there's a couple of very valid reasons why people should join SIBA. And the very smallest brewer, it, it, the cost is well less than £200 a year. It, you know, if you think of it as um, it's, it's well less than you having a pint of a beer in a pub once a week, one pint of beer a week in mm. a pub. And you can join SIBA for less than that. I yeah. mean, is that not a bargain? And I can say can... It's, it's, it's fairly safe to say that pretty much every listener is kind of like, yeah, spends a lot more than that on beer a week. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, there's all sorts of benefits. There are networking benefits, there are competitions you can enter. There's no charge for entering the competition, unlike other competitions, uh, other than you, you, you obviously have to gift your beer. Um, there are all sorts of um, benefits. We have a really thriving supplier associate network. Uh, we run what's been said to be the best beer exhibition in the UK, uh, in Liverpool. It's called Beer X. It's, it happens in mid-March every year. Um, and, uh, you know, there are incentives out there at the minute for people who want to join SEBA to, to get a free entry pass to that this mm. year. And it's, it's the best beer exhibition that I've been to. There's all, you know, whatever you're looking for in terms of kit or consumables or whatever you will find lots of people there willing to sell you those and show you um show you their wares so you know there are innumerable benefits to joining SIBA yeah yeah I, I totally agree um I mean I think two of the main issues that come up um and we'll tackle them one at a time for for, for SIBA members and I guess people looking from the outside in are are like small brewers relief is one and, and the price that pubcos are willing to pay for their beers is another. We'll, we'll start with SBR. I mean, do, do, you, do you feel like SBR is a, is a fair system or do you think it needs overhauling or 
or just tweaking? I mean, what, what do you think would be the ideal? Well, let's start with the basics. If SBI didn't exist, we wouldn't have the thriving brewing industry we have in the UK at the minute, and mm. the consumer wouldn't have the choice that they've got. Um, and, and, and it, you know, again, it's Sieber's founding fathers who lobbied long and hard for SBR and managed to get it through in 2002. Um, do I think it needs reform? Yes. Um, why? Because uh, it's a bit like income tax. Um, you have a basic rate and then you have a higher rate, but the... Um, the rate at which you translate, no, sorry, you transform from the smaller rate to the higher rate is totally punitive. Um, so if you accept the premise that SBR was brought in the first place to um, compensate for the lack of economies of scale that the, the smaller brewer has, <clears throat> then once you get to 5,000 hectolitres, which is not a large brewery, mm. um, your, SP, your your duty relief, your small brewer's relief, gets withdrawn at a frightening rate. So by the time you're at 10,000 hectolitres, you're paying 75% duty. Now, as somebody who whose brewery has has tried and not entirely succeeded in, in bursting through that that barrier, I can assure you it's a, it's a really, really tough call um, to get through there because the extra cost of duty is not outweighed by any economies of scale that I'm aware of. Um, so we need reform, but absolutely we do not need reform at the cost of the smallest brewer. So, you know, as far as we're concerned, up to 5,000 hectolitres, the existing system should remain. Um, there should be a, 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 gra a much more gradual increase above 5,000 hectolitres um, so that you don't hit 75% duty at, at at 10,000 hectolitres, which itself is very, very small. Mm. There are others who argue that uh, as you go further up the scale, that should be extended as well, beyond 60,000 hectolitres. Um, I, I, those are arguments I respect. Uh, as I'm nowhere near 60,000 hectolitres, it's, it's not something that, and, and indeed very, very few CBA members are, it's not something that we get overly excited about. Um, we're not against that. We are pro-reform generally, and and if you if you set that against the backcloth of the simple fact that the UK pays the second highest rate of duty in the European Union uh, at a rate many times higher than Germany, for example, uh, and and so you know beer duty itself is a huge issue. Um, SBR is really important and needs to be reformed, but not at the expense of small brewers. Mm. And while you've got me on duty, um, I'm very passionate about reforming cider duty. Uh, it's a little known fact that the biggest cider producer, such as Heineken, pays less than a 5% cider per pint than the smallest brewer pays on an ordinary strength beer per pint. And that is scary when, if you think about it, the, the products are of the same, similar pricing on the bar. You, most consumers are either beer drinkers or cider drinkers, so there's lots of equivalence. Yeah. Um, I think it's scandalous that the cider duty is structured in the way it is. And, and there's an opportunity as we come out of the European Union to reform that. Um, and we've, CBA has told the government that they could raise at least another £300 million a year if they taxed cider on the same basis that they currently tax beer. 
and that is not a small amount of money. No, goodness. I had no. I mean, I, I don't really drink cider very often, but I, I had no yeah. idea. And, and, and the cider makers are absolutely coining it. They, it, it, you know, any notion that it's more expensive to produce than beer is is nonsense. Mm. Uh, they're laughing all the way to the bank. I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah. And, and by that, I mean the big cider makers. I'm just clarifying. Yeah, that. yeah. Yes. Just to put it in context, then. How many hectolitres ish does a, a regional family brewery um, produce annually? And what about someone like Molson Coors? Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't know the precise figures. I know that Molson Coors has got something like 15 to 20% of the UK beer market. Right. Um, it's either 36 million or it's 63 million hectolitres. Right. Um, it's massive. Uh, all, you know, small brewers. Seba thinks that small brewers, including the family brewers, you know, small brewers have got about 7% of the market. The family brewers have got a small percentage above that. Um, The smallest family brewer that I'm aware of produces about 100,000 hectolitres. There are are one or two smaller ones in the Midlands. Most of them are two, three, four hundred thousand hectolitres, I think. Um, Some of them may be a bit smaller. Yeah. but they are, you know, it's well known. And, and again, CBA's, um one of the benefits of being a CBA member is you can participate in our benchmarking survey. Yes. We just, we just completed our 2019 survey. I was, I must stress it, it's synonymous, so we don't, we don't know which brewers participate. But I get to see the headline figures. So I was looking at these yesterday. Um... What's really interesting is that we, we segment them into different sizes of breweries, and you can see how once you get above about fifteen twenty thousand hectolitres, the economies of scale definitely kick in. Mm. Uh, but as I just mentioned, so does the so do the duty increases. So that's why the people who are producing twenty or thirty thousand hex are still in no better a place um, than than you know the the, the smaller brewers. Um, it's only when you get, you know, probably north towards fifty, hundred thousand hectolitres a year, that you, you know, the economies of scale are definitely there. Um, and obviously, those breweries are always paid fuel duty, so um, they are competing with the globals and the multi and the major nationals. I'm sure they would say they're hard done to as well, given that. If you've ever been to a brewery like Marston's and seen the vast bottling line they've got mm. uh, and the vast production facilities, you can you can easily imagine how they can produce, you know, uh, and sell bottled beer as, as cheaply as they do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of issues. The the, the um, headline beer duty doesn't help. The the behaviour of the major retailers and the major pub coasts certainly doesn't help in terms of their um, aggressive purchasing um, regimes. They exploit the fact that there's an awful lot of brewers out there to buy from, and they sadly exploit the fact that some of those brewers are in benefit of small brewers relief. And Mm. that relief is not meant for the retailer, it's meant for the brewer to compensate for the the lack of economies of scale. Mm. So that's another issue Sebra feels very strongly about and is campaigning as best we can. What pricing, you mean? Well, yeah, we've got a... We're discussing at the minute how we can we can premiumise cask beer again. Mm. You know, it's the pinnacle of the brewer's art. It's, 
uh, and yet it's become a commodity. Um, big pump companies, uh, the big the big wholesalers, um, the multinationals, and the, the national brewers treat it as a commodity, uh, and that's sadly means that they, the pricing policies that, that follow trickle all the way down the line. So unless you are a very very sought after go to brewery, the chances of getting what you would consider a fair price for your product are pretty remote. Yeah. So this this leads me nicely to my second point then. So um, about about pubcos and um, the the pricing that pubcos are willing to pay. Now I've I've heard that there's a change in the air um, in terms of um, the work the CBA's done with certain pubcos to be able for brewers to be able to price the beers at the you, price they want to do. Can you just explain a bit more about? You're that? referring to CBA Beer Flex, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is the system whereby which was introduced in 2004. Again, it was it was down to the the sort of CBA pioneers who realised that small brewers weren't getting a fair access to market with the tenancy pub companies. So they managed to get um, what we now call Beer Flex. It was called DDS in the old days, mm. uh, up and running in 2004. And that works on the basis that uh, the smallest brewer can deliver direct to one of the pubco outlets, Enterprise Inns, Green King, Star, whoever, um, providing that the pubco has agreed that that pub is allowed on the list and providing that the the order is placed through the pubco, who of course take a very large cut um, of the price that they they sell the beer on to their tenants at. Um, what's happened over the years is that, again, in line with national trends, the pubcos and well, some of the pubcos have chosen to unilaterally cut the price that they're prepared to pay CBA brewers. Um, Sabre's in a difficult position because of competition law. So we, we're not allowed to set prices. Um, we're not allowed to discuss prices amongst brewers because that would be deemed to be a cartel. Um, but what's evolved over the last couple of years, and it's been underpinned um, by a motion at last year's Sabre AGM, Motion 3, which... Uh, basically instructed CBA to implement what's called flexible ethical pricing as soon as possible with all the pubcos who buy beer through Beerflex. CBA was already in the process of trying to do that, but we, the board supported the motion and the motion was unanimously carried. And that's given added impetus to our negotiations because we can now say to the pub coast, look, our membership have mandated us to do this. Um, and we are making... I'm not in a position to announce uh, where we're at, eh, yep. because I don't have the detail. I, I must stress I'm a non-exec chairman of CBA and not... I don't run CBA. Yep. Um, and secondly, there are negotiations still ongoing. But uh, I'm optimistic that this year we will start to see flexible pricing coming down the tracks. Now, before anybody gets too excited, uh, that doesn't mean you can charge what you want. Uh, it means that you've got the option, that you will have the option to select a price for your for, for your nominated beers from a pricing matrix. Um, what it also does mean, of course, is that the more expensive you choose to price your beer, the less likely it is you will sell a lot of it 
because don't forget the purchasers, the, the publicans, um, tenants out there, um, in turn are under under, screen, under pressure themselves from all sorts of, uh, you know, well-documented um, issues within the pub industry. So it's a start. Um, we have successfully resisted pressure from one of the pub coasts to reduce prices further, and we are optimistic that we can get flexible ethical pricing up and running this year. Because mm. I, I remember when... Um I worked at a, a brewery that was a SEBA member um, looking on the, the, the pricing thing and it's like, um, you know, the, I'm going to get paid this for this beer, that's mm. this percentage, you know, and, and I'd know <coughs> when I'd started dry hopping this one particular beer, I was like, hang yeah. on a minute, I, like yeah. that dry hop bill alone is just pushing my price. Yeah. So why, why should it get priced upon yeah. the ABV? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. It's, it is ridiculous. And that's the issue that's dominated... Uh, pricing for you know if you like when the tenanted pub companies were created as an if you like unintended consequence of the beer orders and that goes back 30 odd years um, that nobody expected these property companies to behave like breweries and start um, controlling the supply of beer um, and I, I think it's historic that Beer tended to be priced by ABV, mm. uh, and, that, and 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 it was logical when most beer was produced from British hops, and, and and okay, you put a bit more hops and malt in for the stronger beers, and you got slightly more money for the stronger beers. Um, but ABV based pricing is is uh, just antiquated when you're faced with the sort of craft beers that we're now seeing, and mm. we all know that um, you, know, you can brew an, an ordinary strength beer um, to an ordinary recipe, or you can brew it to a modern recipe, and you can double the cost of your raw ingredients. Yeah. Um, it's completely wrong that, that the pricing should be on an ABV basis. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I see we gets that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, all, the only advice I can give to any brewer uh, you know, even if we get this flexible ethical pricing through completely, the only advice I can give to any brewer is know your costs, and don't, uh, you know, don't put forward your more heavily hopped, more expensive to produce beers for beer flex. Mm. Um, it would be crazy. One of my passions is getting brewers to know their costs. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I trained as an accountant. Um, but the number of brewers I come across who haven't a clue what what their beer costs. I mean, you wouldn't uh, forgive me. I don't want to sound patronising, but you wouldn't run a corner shop on that basis. That 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 you don't know, you know, the price of what you're buying in. You you, you don't know you're making a profit on every item you sell. Mm. So you should know your costs. Uh, and there are a tool. There's a tool on the CBA website um, that helps you work out what your cost is. Um, there are seminars at Beerex. Well, will... I remember hearing you last year talking about this, um, about costing and a, and a, and a brewer standing up, to, you know, asking that question about pubcos and, and you saying about knowing your costs. And I, I, I was, a bit sim- well, I am of a similar mind, but I remember hearing it thinking like, it, sh- surely if you're running a, a beer business or any business, yeah, you've, you've got to know exactly. how much it's costing you. And I, unfortunately, I think um, I, I had this revelation 
um, about five years ago when I, I read a book called The E-Myth by a guy called Michael Gerber. <laughs> and um, the, the, the premise is that um, people who go start running their own businesses often think they're an entrepreneur, but actually they're a technician that what he, he calls as um, having an entrepreneurial seizure. So they, they have a moment where they're like, <coughs> they're working in a brewery, then they think, you know what, I, I could be the man, I could, I could run my own brewery. And then before they know it, they're thrust into the world of entrepreneurialship mm-hmm. with none of yeah. the skills of running a business. Exactly. exactly. And, that, and that, sadly, is why some small breweries will fail. And you can't knock the enthusiasm, uh, you know, and the passion, uh, but you... I can't think of any other... I mean, to me, beer... You know, you asked me right at the beginning, what, how do I get in the beer business and why am I still in it? Well, the answer is because it's a wonderful business to be in. It's mm. it, the passion that, that everybody has, the conviviality, the networking, it's fantastic. Um, but you can't run a business on passion alone, you know, and, and you wouldn't set up any other business without taking professional advice if you, if you, did, if you couldn't... If you didn't have the skills yourself, so why would you do that with a small brewery? It's a mystery to me. Yeah, well, that that leads me in nicely into this next question. So, because we're now at a point where the UK's got around two and a half thousand breweries, I, I, I would dispute it's not. It's, it, I would say it's got about seventeen, eighteen hundred serious brewery businesses. Right. Okay. There's an awful lot of home brewers out there who what we, with the commercial who license? we wouldn't call commercial brewers. Right. So, but. That's okay. No, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's that's it's fine. Still, it's still uh, auto brewers. Yeah, I think both Seabrew and Camera, except there were about seventeen, eighteen hundred. So, okay. Uh, commercial, serious commercial businesses uh, out there trying to sell beer. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll go for the lower figure, like seventeen hundred breweries that are commercial enterprises like this one, um, albeit maybe smaller or larger. And obviously, there's been a lot of pub closures over the last decade. I mean, what what's kind of future do you think independent British beer has and and do you think we'll see many more brewery closures and what kinds of breweries do you think do you think will be casualties of that wrecking ball there's a lot of questions there there Uh, is uh, the future is rosy because we produce great beer that people want to buy Mm. Um, the fact that the big Bigger breweries are, are, are copying what the smaller brewers do is a, is a compliment. It doesn't make life easier, but it's a compliment. Um, the last stat I read on pubs was that the closures had stabilised and there were as many opening as there were closing. So we've only got to look at all the micro pubs out there, um, which is fantastic. Uh, it's not fantastic if you if you already run a run a pub chain. I mean, I, I remember when. Just shortly after I sold Market Town Taverns, um, there was a small microbrewery open. Mi- sorry, a small micro pub opened across the road in one of the towns we traded it, and that immediately halved the profitability of that pub overnight just by taking a couple of thousand of turnover off it. Mm. Uh, but as a consumer uh, and as a brewery, you can't knock micro pubs because they're they're wonderful, and and they tend to be what the true interested beer drinker wants because they're not that they're focused on beer and with few gimmicks they, you know they go right back to basics so i think that it, i'm under no illusion having done it it's it, it's not easy to run a pub these days but equally it's not easy to run a brewery <laughs> um i think uh, there's a great future ahead for those in whether it be in the brewery industry or the pub industry who can succeed to answer your last question, do I think there'd be more casualties in the brewing world? Yes, sadly. Um, 
for the reasons we've already discussed. Yeah. Uh, that the uh, there was a brewery in West Yorkshire announced a couple of weeks ago they were closing and they were well respected. They were they were not particularly small. Um, and it was very sad. Um, and I think uh, unless something miraculous were to happen, unless and I don't think it will, unless the big pub companies and, 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 and the whole pub world started paying, say, another 10 quid a firkin for, for all beer uh, as a minimum um, and passing that on if they have to, um, I think sadly, the, you know, the, it will re remain difficult to run a small brewery and, and there'll be casualties. But equally, there are success stories, as, as we've seen. Yeah. Um, if someone listens to this as as big ambitious plans, like how how should they um, approach fi financing a brewery business? I, I guess like this, because you, you say you know it's it's I, I, just through the nature of my business, I get a lot of people coming to me saying, "Oh, I'm thinking of starting a brewery," you know, and or oh, they're brewing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden they want to upscale, and, and I'll often say, "Like you, you need to really really consider what you plan to do now." But there are some people like, no, I, I really want to make a go of this. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they picture something like this, having all the nice um, stainless steel tanks and the hop, hop rocket and all the rest of it. Like, where do they go from there? Should they go? I, in think, your, I think they should. I think for a starter, they should go and work in a commercial brewery for maybe six months. Uh, they should talk to as many brewers as they can. They should understand... It's not just about brewing good beer, it's about selling it. Mm. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm really fortunate because I, I, I mean, worked in the pub world for 13 years or so. Um, I, I've got a good grounding. I understand the, the, the complex nature of the market. I understand how pub co's think. Um, I think if you were... In the same way, I mean, I come back to the corner shop... Uh, Example, you, you wouldn't only open a corner shop without, you know, from scratch, without researching the need. Is, is there a, an unmet demand? Um, do I understand the market? Have I done some projections? Have I talked to other people who run corner shops? Um, what margins do I make? What's, what's the likely cost of my overheads? Can I make a living out of mm. it? Well, why would you approach running a brewery on any different basis? And, and you know, like we said earlier, you can't just do it on emotion and passion alone. Um, it, it's because it's such a fantastic product and it's a fantastic life, if you like, being a brewer. Um, that I understand why people want to do it, but I just strongly, strongly urge anybody who's thinking about it to to proceed with caution, to, like I say, go and, go and get some work experience in a brewery, talk to everybody, um, just take the trouble to understand the marketplace. Yeah. And with your accountant head on then, and, and background... I must stress I'm not an accountant. Well, sorry. I, I, tra I trained so as one. You, 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 <laughs> with, with, with your background having had some training in accountancy, like how... how so let, let's say someone's done their, their business plan, yeah, this all stacks up, there's a, there's a need in my niche or my area, whatever it is, but like, you know, they're, they're like a penniless guitar player, they have no money, you know, like how do they... 
Because it's, it's not cheap, is it? It's, no, it's, like, it's like one not. of the not cheapest industries you can go into. <laughs> absolutely not. Well, if you're a penniless guitar player, um, it might be you can make more money out of playing guitar. But, uh, look, people have crowdfunded, and I'm not knocking crap. We chose not to. Sometimes I wish we had. It would have been a lot easier. Mm. Um, I don't, but I, I think crowdfunding has got a... There's been some burnt fingers, and there's, there are, you know, it's going to change. I don't think it'll be as easy in future. Um, I, I, it's all very well having a, you know, I've seen so many business plans. I mean, I've written business plans, and, and the psychology of writing a business plan is you want to be believed. But the reality is, you can, you can write a nice business plan and say, well, if I can sell quarter million pounds worth of beer a year, I can break even, and if I can sell 350,000 pounds, I can make a nice living. But, you know, you've got to come back to how am I going to sell that beer? What's, what's going to be different about my beer to make somebody want to buy it? Um, uh, the free trade is hugely competitive at the minute, um, and prices aren't, you know, they're certainly not rising. Getting into wholesalers and pubcos is not easy unless you've got a track record. Um, there's not many of them were taking on new suppliers. So, uh, you know, there's no easy answer to that, I'm afraid. Um, mm. uh, some of, you know, it's been said to me by some that there was a sort of golden opportunity <clears throat> about 10, 15 years ago to get in. And, 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 and some who've tried more recently have... have Struggled, but equally, I could point you to breweries that are only five years old and they're very successful, because somehow or other they've they've just hit the the zeitgeist. They've they've got the right contacts. They've they've been in the right place at the right time. And I think the other thing is it. It's I know some you know quite small breweries run by say husband and wife teams that are quite successful and, and make good money because they're not overly ambitious. So if, you, if, you can, if you've got, say, a large garage attached to your house um, and you're willing to be everything from the brewer, the delivery man, the salesman, and everything else, um, then, you know, one man or two man band can, can make a decent living. But it's the minute you start becoming ambitious and believing you need to scale up that it gets very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I used an example in, um, I did a recording at Marble Brewery, um, when was it, it was on Monday, and um, I gave the example, I don't know if you've ever seen Scarface with um, Al Pacino, but um, do you, basically he comes over from Cuba, smuggled into America, and uh, as a gangster, and um, the, the, the sort of head honcho who takes him under his wing is kind of like, um, these guys are want to go to the top. They don't last in this business. You want to last in this business? You stay small, you lie low. And then obviously, you know, he does want to go to the top yeah. and he ends up, you know, with this huge yeah. mountain of cocaine on his desk and getting shot by the mob. Um, so, yeah, I, I can totally hmm. see where you're coming from with that. Um, I mean, where, where do you see the beer industry as a whole um, <coughs> heading over the coming years? What, what sort of challenges do you see it facing? Oh dear, um, probably similar ones to the ones we're facing today. Mm. Um, apart from the deposit return scheme, I'm not aware of anything new and onerous coming down the tracks, but, uh, you know, it, it's just 
it's just tough out there at the moment. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think the competition from the globals is going to go away. Um, the, there's two or three major national companies that are on the stock market there under their own pressures. Even like the supermarkets, I mean, the big four supermarkets are under tremendous pressure from the the oldies and littles, the startups. Um, and the problem is when large companies have come under pressure, they create large pressure, which mm. ripples down. So I don't really see any rosy um, sunset sort of future in the sh- in the short to medium term. I think if you brew good beer, if you're good at marketing, good at selling, um, you know, good at promoting yourselves, and and you run a tight ship, I think there's a perfectly good business to be had mm. and a lot of enjoyment yeah uh, but i don't think there's any magic wand or silver uh, bullet yeah exactly yeah that, that, that's out there it's uh, it's like i said earlier it's great for the consumer it's fantastic for the consumer um i i, I get annoyed when uh, i mean as i said right at the beginning i've been a camera member 45 years uh, I've got a huge respect for camera, but I get annoyed when um, a lot of people join camera just for discounts and cheap beer and beer vouchers. If they think they're helping the beer industry by by asking for discounts, they've got a, they're completely wrong. Well, it's it's just it's completely asked about face, isn't it? Yeah. Being like, I I support good. Independent beer, but I want my money off whether spoons. Exactly. <laughs> or, or I, you know, I'll only go to pubs that offer me ten percent discount or whatever. That is not helpful at yeah. all. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of scope for Camera and Ciba to cooperate and collaborate going forwards. Uh, whether will and will or not, I don't know. Mm. Um, obviously, there's, you know, Camera exists for the consumer and Ciba exists for the brewer. But together we can we can make bigger waves than we can separately, and there are some campaigns like the campaign to um, get Caspier growing again, things like that that we really really should cooperate on. Yeah. So last question then: If you could give one piece of advice to help someone get ahead in their own brewing business, what would it be? It's a tough one. One piece of advice: It would be. Network as best you can, talk to as many people as you can, listen, observe, learn. Brilliant. Thank you all. Thanks for being on the show today. Um, As I confessed earlier, I've I've not actually had one of your beers before, um, but I shall certainly be... Hopefully you'll be having one this afternoon. (laughs) Hopefully, although I am driving, so it might have to be a very, very, Well, we've got a couple of low alcohol beers on the bar. Um, But for for anyone like me that's not had a Roosters beer, um, how can they get hold of it? Where can they try it? Uh, well, we are in a couple of supermarket chains in Morrison's, Waitrose and Sainsbury's. Um, we do sell for the, the free trade throughout Yorkshire and the North East and across in the Pennines into Lancashire and Manchester, Merseyside. Um, we we do occasionally sell through the national pub chains um, because obviously, why wouldn't you if you get the opportunity? Mm. Um, you know, uh, good old Mr. Weatherspoon helps us a couple of times a year by taking a lot of beer uh, at a discounted price, but it does pay quickly. So, yeah. um, you know, I'd never knock them. I think they're a great company. Um, so yeah, we, we, 
how various is widely distribu distributed as we're able to achieve and uh, and we, we 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 produce beer in cask keg and can um so we've got to, you know, we, we cover all spectrums in terms of beer style and that sort of thing. Great stuff, lots of great beer. Well, th thank you, Thank Ian. you very thank much. You. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Uh,